Chapter Three of the Chautauqua Girls at Home. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Chautauqua Girls at Home by Pansy. Chapter Three Burdens. Under the influence of the sermon and the prayers and the glorious music, life grew to be rose color to Marion before she reached home that Sabbath evening. She came home with springing step and with her heart full of plans and possibilities for the future. Not even the dismalness of her unattractive room and desolate surroundings had power to drive the song from her heart. She went about humming the grand tune with which the evening service had closed. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. As she sang, her whole soul thrilled with the joy of glorying in such a theme, and her last thought, as she closed her eyes for the night, was about a plan of work that she meant to carry out. What could have happened in the night to so change the face of the world for her? It looked so utterly different in the morning. School was to open, and she shrank from it, dreaded it. The work looked all drudgery, and the plans she had formed the night before seemed impossibilities. The face of nature had changed wonderfully. In place of radiant sunshine, there was falling a steady, dismal rain. The clouds bent low and looked like lead. The wind was moaning in a dismal way that felt like a wail, and nothing but umbrellas and waterproofs and rubber overcoats and dreariness were abroad. The pretty, summery school dress that Marion had laid out to wear was hung sadly back in her wardrobe, and the inevitable black alpaca came to the surface. It seemed to her the symbol of her old life of dreariness, which she imagined had gone from her. It was not that she felt utterly dismal and desolate, it was not that she had forgotten her late experiences, it was not that she did not know that she had the friend who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it was simply that she could not feel it and joy in it as she had done only yesterday, and her religious life was too recent not to be swayed by feeling and impulse. The fact that there was a clear sun shining above the clouds and a strong and firm mountain up in the sunshine, on which it was her privilege to stand, despite what was going on below, she did not understand. She did not know what effect the weather and the sense of fatigue were having on her, and she felt not only mortified, but alarmed, that her joy had so soon gone out in cloud and gloom. If she could only just run around the corner to see Yuri a minute, or up the hill to Flossie's home, how much it would help her, and the thought that she was actually looking to Flossie Shipley and Yuri Mitchell for help of any sort, brought the first smile that she had indulged in that morning. She was certainly changed when she could look to them for comfort and sympathy. Is there anyone reading this account of an everyday life who does not understand, by past experience, just how trying a first day at school is? when teachers and scholars have come out from the influence of a long summer vacation? Next week, or even tomorrow, they will have battled with, and in a measure, choked the spirit of disgust, or homesickness, or weariness, with which they come back from play to work. But today nothing seems quite so hard in all the world as to turn from the hundred things that have interested and delighted them, and settle down to grammar and philosophy and algebra. Teachers and scholars alike are apt to feel the depression of such circumstances, and when you add to the other discomforts that of a steady pouring rain, 
with a sound of fall in every whiff of the wind, you will understand that Marion was to have comparatively little help from outside influences. She felt the gloom in her heart deepen as the day went on. She was astonished and mortified at herself to find that the old feelings of irritability and sharpness still held her in grasp. She was not free from them, at least. Her tongue was as strongly tempted to be sarcastic, and her tone to be stern, as ever they had been. None of the scholars helped her. Those of them who were neither gloomy, nor listless, nor inclined to be cross, were simply silly. They laughed on every possible occasion, with or without an excuse. They devised ways and means to draw off the attention of these who made faint efforts to be studious, and, in short, were decidedly the most provoking of all the elements of the day. Marion found herself more than once curling her lip in the old sarcastic way at the inconsistencies and improprieties of those among her pupils who bore the name of Christian. During the long recess she tried to go away by herself, in the hope that her heart might quiet down and rest itself on some of the new and solid ground on which she had so lately learned to tread. But they followed her, several of the teachers, in a gaiety of mood that was half affected to hide the homesickness of their hearts, and therefore infected no one else with a cheerful spirit. They were armed with a package of examination papers, given in by those scholars who aspired to a higher grade. They loudly called on Marion for assistance. "'You haven't had a single examination class yet. Then it is clearly your duty to help the afflicted.' Bear ye one another's burdens, you know. It was Miss Banks who said this, and she had barely escaped being Marion's intimate friend. As it was, she came nearer being familiar with her than with any other. She wondered now how it could have been that she had liked her. Her voice sounded so shrill and unwinning, and the quotation that she had so glibly uttered was such a jar. However, she turned back with a wan attempt at a smile and said, I shall have enough examination papers of my own before night. How do yours range? And she took half a dozen that were reached out to her. They range precisely as if we had a parcel of idiots in our care. The blunders that these aspiring young ladies and gentlemen make in orthography are enough to set one's teeth on edge. Orthography, said Marion with a curling lip, they are years too old for any such commonplace as that. It must be history at least. Here is Allie March, struggling for the advanced history class, and I venture to say she doesn't know who was president four years ago. And then Marion suddenly remembered that Allie March was the one whom, in her glorified moments of only the day before, she had aspired to help forward in her Christian life. If she had seen that sneer and heard those sharp words, would it have helped her or inclined her ever to look that way for help? Then Marion and the rest gave themselves to silence and to work. "'What is the prospect for promotion?' Professor Easton said, as he came and leaned over the desk before which they worked. Miss Banks looked up with a laugh. "'It reminds one of one's childhood and scripture learning days. Many are called, but few are chosen. There will be exceedingly few chosen from this class.' "'Why did those Bible quotations so jar Marion?' It had been one of her weak points to quote them aptly and with stinging sarcasm. Perhaps that was one reason why she so keenly felt their impropriety now. She had been so long among the called, 
and so very recently among the chosen. The possibility of having spent a lifetime without ever becoming one of those chosen ones seemed so fearful to her, and she felt that she had so narrowly escaped that end, that she shivered and drew her little shawl around her as she glanced up quickly at Professor Easton. He was a Christian man, a member of the First Church. Would he have any reply to make to this irreverent application of solemn truth? No, he had only a laugh for reply. It might have been at Miss Banks' rueful face that he laughed, but Marion would have liked him better if he had looked grave. Miss Banks at that moment caught a glimpse of Marion's grave face. "'Miss Wilbur,' she said quickly, "'what on earth can have happened to you during vacation? I never in my life saw you look so solemn. Didn't I hear something about your going to the woods to camp meeting? How was that? I verily believe you spent your time on the anxious seat and have caught the expression. Did you find anyone to say to you, "'Come unto me? I am sure you labor hard enough and look heavy laden, doesn't she, Professor Easton?' I really think we shall have to start a prayer meeting over her. Marion threw down the paper she was correcting with a nervous start, and her voice sounded sharper than she meant. How is it possible, Miss Banks, that you can repeat those words in such a shockingly irreverent way? Surely you profess to have at least a nominal respect for the one who first uttered them. Really, said Miss Banks, with an embarrassed laugh, astonishment and confusion struggling for the mastery on her flushed face. Is Saul also among the prophets? There, I declare I am quoting again. Is that wicked too? Professor Easton, how is that? Miss Wilbur has been to camp meeting and is not responsible for her words, but you ought to be good authority. Is it wicked for me to quote scripture? Haven't I as good a right to Bible verses as any of you? Here has Miss Wilbur been giving us lessons in that art for the last two years, and she suddenly deserts and takes to preaching at us. Is that fair now? If it were not wicked, I might say to her, Physician, heal thyself. Marion bestowed a quick, searching, almost pleading glance on Professor Easton, and then looked down with a flushed and disappointed face. He was not equal to a bold spreading of his professed colors. He laughed, not easily, or as if he had enjoyed the sharp words veiled so thinly by pleasantry, but as if he were in an awkward position, and did not see his way out. "'You were just a little hard on Miss Wilbur in your selections, you must remember,' he said at last. "'People can always be excused for more or less somberness on the first day of the term.' And then he went away hurriedly, as if he desired to avoid anything further in that strain. "'Hard on Miss Wilbur?' Did he suppose she cared for such vapid nonsense? What surprised and hurt her was that he so utterly ignored the question at issue. Did he, a professed Christian of many years' standing, see no impropriety in this manner of quoting the very words of the Lord himself? Or hadn't he sufficient moral courage to rebuke it? Either conclusion was distasteful, especially distasteful to her, Marion found, because the one in question was Professor Easton. Hitherto she had held him a little above the ordinary. Was he then so very common after all? This little occurrence did not serve to sweeten her day. The more so that after she had quieted down a little, at noon, she tried to join the other teachers as usual, and felt an air of stiffness or embarrassment or unnaturalness of some sort 
in their manner to her. Twice, as she came toward them, Miss Banks, who was talking volubly, hushed into sudden and utter silence. After that, Marion went to the upper hall and ate her lunch by herself. Matters grew worse rather than better as the afternoon session dragged its slow hours along. The air of the schoolroom seemed close and unbearable, and the moment a window was raised, the driving rain rushed in and tormented the victim who sat nearest to it. Poor Marion, who was as susceptible to the temperature of rooms as a thermometer, tried each window in succession during the afternoon, and came to the desperate conclusion that the rain came from all quarters of the leaden sky at once. The spirit of unrest that pervaded the room grew into positive lawlessness as the day waned, and Marion's tone had taken even unusual sharpness. Her self-command was giving way. Instead of helping, she had been positively an injury to Allie March, first by the sharpness of her reprimands, and then by the sarcastic comments on her extreme dullness. But the girl who had tried her the most during the entire day was the most brilliant and, as a rule, the most studious scholar in her room. Every teacher knows that the good scholar who occasionally makes a failure is the one who exasperates the most. You are so utterly unprepared for anything but perfection on that one's part. Not that Gracie Dennis was perfect. She was by far too noisy and decided for that but she was, as a rule, ladylike in her manners and words, showing her careful teaching and her own sense of self-respect. There had been little sympathy, however, between Marion and herself. She was too much like Marion in a haughty independence of manner to ever become that lady's favorite. Why, as to that, I am not sure that she had a favorite. There were many who liked her and all respected her, but no one thought of expressing outright affection for Miss Wilbur. As for Gracie Dennis, she had come nearer to outwitting her teacher than had any other young lady in the room, and she stood less in awe of her. On this particular day, the spirit of disquiet seemed to have gotten entire possession of the girl. She had not given fifteen minutes to downright work, but had dawdled and lounged in a most exasperating manner, and at times exhibited a dullness that was very hard to bear patiently, because Marion felt so certain that it was either feigned or the result of willful inattention. Several times had Marion to speak decidedly to the young ladies in her seat, once or twice directly to grace herself, and at last, losing all patience with her, she took decided measures. "'Miss Dennis, I really have something to do besides watch you all the time. If you please, you may bring your book to the desk and take the seat beside me.' Then if you must whisper, I can afford you a special audience. What an unheard-of thing! Grace Dennis actually called to the platform to the post of disgrace, the leading young lady in the school, and Reverend Dr. Dennis's only daughter. Some of the scholars looked aghast. Some of the class who had long envied her were rude and cruel enough to indulge in an audible giggle. As for Grace herself, hardly any one could have been more amazed. It was many a day since, with all her love of fun and her dangerous position as a leader, she had been obliged to receive a public reprimand. She had never in her life been called to that public seat, which was but one remove from being sent to Professor Easton's private office. Her great handsome eyes dilated and flashed, and her cheeks glowed like fire. 
she half arose then sat down again and the school waited breathlessly being about equally divided as to whether she would obey or rebel marion herself was somewhat in doubt and in her excitement over the unwanted scene concluded to make obedience a necessity on the second thought you may have your choice miss dennis you may come to the desk or repair at once to professor easton's room and state the cause of your appearance again the hateful giggle there were those who knew why being sent to professor easton was the worst thing that gracie dennis thought could happen to her she arose again and now she had the advantage of her teacher for there was a dignity and composure in her voice as she said i believe i have never disobeyed your orders miss wilbur i certainly do not propose to do so now then she came with composed step and took her seat beside marion but her eyes still glittered and as the business of the hour went on more quietly than any hour that had preceded it marion as she caught glimpses now and then of the face bent over her latin grammar saw that it was flushed almost to a purple hue and that the intense look in those handsome eyes did not quiet she had roused a dangerous spirit to add to the embarrassment and the keenness of her rebuke the door leading from the recitation room behind the platform suddenly opened and professor easton himself came around to speak to marion he paused in astonishment as he caught sight of the culprit beside her and for an instant was visibly embarrassed then he rallied and bowing slightly and very gravely passed her by and addressed marion in a low voice as for gracie she did not once lift her eyes after the first swift glance had assured her who the caller was i have made an enemy thought marion to herself as her own excitement beginning to subside she had time to reflect on whether she had done wisely she will never forgive me this public insult as she will choose to call it i see it in her handsome dangerous eyes and yet i can hardly see how i could have done otherwise if almost any of the others had given me half the provocation that she has to-day i should have sent them to professor easton without question why should i hesitate in her favor oh me what a miserable day it has been and i meant it to be such a good one i wonder if my christian life must be marked by such weary and ignominious failures as this gracie dennis is one of the christian young ladies a lovely christian she has shown and if i am not mistaken will continue to show to me i wonder if it amounts to nothing but a name after all with the most of them and here marion stopped this train of thought because she suddenly remembered that she was now numbered among those on whom others were looking and wondering if their religion meant anything but name suppose that some had been looking at her in that light this day how would they have decided she found that she was not willing to be judged by the same rule that she was almost unconsciously applying to gracie dennis then she went back over the day and tried to discover wherein she had failed and how she might have done what would have been better could she not after all have gotten along without so severe and public a rebuke to this young girl by her side she knew her temperament well indeed it was she confessed to herself a good deal like her own what would be a trifle to half the girls in the school what would be forgotten by the best of them in a day or two would burn in this girl's memory and affect her after life and manner almost in spite of herself 
the more so because of that unfortunate call from Professor Easton. Marion knew by the swift glance which he gave at the strange situation that it meant something to him. Then it was undoubtedly hard for Gracie. She began to feel sorry for her, to wish that she might in some way smooth over the chasm that she had builded between them. She is very young, she said to herself with a little sigh. I ought not to have expected such wonderful things of her. I wish I had managed differently. It is too late now. I wonder how I shall get out of it all. Shall I just let her go home without saying anything? All these troubled thoughts wandered through Marion's brain during the intervals of quiet, when nothing was heard save the scratch of pens, for the entire room was engaged in a dictation exercise which was to determine their standing in the writing class. At last there was quiet. The demon of inattention had seemingly been exercised or subdued, for all were industriously at work, and Marion had a chance to rest from the alert watchfulness which had characterized the day. All at work but Gracie. She still bent over her Latin grammar. She had not asked permission to join the dictation class, and Marion had not volunteered it. Truth to tell, she hardly dared venture to address her at all. The eyes had lost none of their keen flash, and the color seemed to be deepening instead of subsiding on her pretty soft cheeks. Marion, as her eyes roved over the exercise book in her hand, felt her heart arrested by these words among the selections for dictation. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. They smote her like a blow from an unseen hand. What burdens of homesickness and ennui and weariness might not all these girls have had to bear today? Had she helped them? Had her manner been winning and hopeful and invigorating? Had her words been gentle and well-chosen, as well as firm and decisive? Her answers to these questions stung her. Moved by a sudden impulse, and not giving herself time to shrink from the determination, she bent forward a little and addressed Gracie. Read that, Gracie. I have not obeyed its direction today. Have you? Do you think you have helped me to bear my burdens? Would Gracie answer her at all? Would her answer be cold and haughty, as nearly rude as she had dared to make it? Marion felt her heart throb while she waited. And she had to wait, for Gracie was utterly silent. At last her teacher stole a glance at her. The great beautiful eyes were lifted to her face. The flash was passing out of them. In its place there was a puzzled, wondering, questioning look. And when at last she spoke, her voice was timid, as if she were half frightened at her own words, and yet eager as one who must know. Miss Wilbur, you don't mean... Oh, do you mean that you want to fulfill the law of Christ, that you own him? That I own him and love him, Marion said, her cheeks glowing now as Gracie's did and that I want above all things to fulfill his law, and yet that I have miserably failed even this first day. Among Marion's sad thoughts that day had been, There is no one to know or to care whether I am different or not. If I could only tell someone, some Christian who would be glad, but who is there to tell? Professor Easton is a Christian, but he doesn't care enough about the Lord Jesus to rebuke those who profane his name. He has let me do it in his presence, and smiled at my wit. And these girls, and here Marion's lip had curled, they don't know what they mean by their professions. 
she was unprepared for what followed gracie dennis graceful queenly in her dignity and haughty even in her mirth said suddenly in a voice which quivered with gladness oh i am so glad so glad oh miss wilbur i don't know how to be thankful enough and then she raised her head suddenly and her glowing lips just touched marion's cheek it was so unusual for marion to be kissed her friends at chautauqua had been those who rarely indulged in that sort of caress never at least with her and while as i told you many of them liked and all of them respected her it was yet an unheard-of thing for the scholars to caress miss wilbur and then too gracie dennis was by no means lavish of her kisses this made the token seem so much more it felt almost like a benediction gracie's next words were humbling to her miss wilbur will you forgive me i didn't mean to annoy you i don't know what has been the matter with me but long before this the last laggard had finished her line and was staring in undisguised astonishment at the scene enacted on the platform marion rallied her excited thoughts dear child she said we have each something to forgive i think i have been too severe with you we will try to help each other to-morrow and then she gave the next sentence as calmly as usual but she went home that night through the rain with a quick step and with joy in her heart it was not all profession it meant something to those girls to gracie dennis it meant everything it was enough to make her forget her passion and her wounded pride and to make her face actually radiant with joy it should mean more to her she had failed that day she had not been in any sense what she meant to be what she ought to have been but there was a blessed verse who forgiveth all thine iniquities what a salvation able to forgive transgression to cover sin to remember it no more it all seemed very natural to her to-night very like an infinite saviour one infinitely loving she began to realize that even poor human love could cover a multitude of sins how easy it seemed to her that it would be to overlook the mistakes and shortcomings of gracie dennis after this End of chapter 3 Recording by Tricia G.